It's all working. Sound good? Yep. Take this thing. Put that in there one minute. <laughs> this could be the last time I preach to you as your pastor. I hope I get opportunity to preach to you again, but uh, maybe this is something special. It's special for me, and I hope God has a, something he wants to say uh, to you. Well, we've moved. We've been in Hastings now for uh, two weeks. It, it's a bit strange. Um, don't know where anything is. Don't know where the post office is, don't know where the buses go, not that I want to jump on buses too often. Uh, it's a bit like being in a strange country. And, uh, but with David and Sabia there, they're helping us through some bits and pieces and sorting it all out. And so soon it'll become very familiar. And we hope if any of you uh, choose to visit or are on that, that way, then please do contact us and we'd love to uh, have you come and talk to us and, and keep us filled in and stuff so yes that's it um, I've been speaking about my life I've been speaking about how I, I believe that every Christian life although it's individual and very personal it's the same for all of us Our life is divided into what I would say were three distinct phases. In uh, the first epistle of John in chapter 2, John writes this and he makes it clear and my previous two messages have been about the first two phases of our life and today I'm going to finish it on what is the third phase of our life. And as we read this together we see our life when we come to Christ, not that Christ wasn't interested in us before we came to him, he's always been interested in us, but when we came and received Christ as our saviour, the Father, the Son and the Spirit started to work in our lives with an earnestness, because we had recognised the need of a saviour, we had received Christ as our saviour, we had yielded our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and now we were going to be obedient to him. And this program of discipleship that he has, for every one of us, he will bring it to completion. God has not entrusted the discipleship of people to other people. It is too valuable to him. You are being discipled by the Father, the Son and the Spirit and he has a keen interest in your discipleship. Yes, he will use other people, he will use the church, he will use circumstances, he will use the things of life. But he is responsible, just as Jesus was responsible for the twelve, Jesus is responsible for your discipleship. That's good news, isn't it? That's why we know it will succeed. 
That's why we know when it is finished, the job is done, we will look like Jesus Christ and no one else. Our character will be transformed into the character of Christ and you will withhold your personality, the wonderful person of who you are. 1 John 2, verse 12. I write to you, dear children, that's phase one, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, this is phase three, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, that's what I would call phase two, because you have overcome the evil one. He says it again, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I realize my salvation is in three parts. First, I am saved from my sins, and Jesus comes and does that for me on the cross. Then I am saved from the snares of Satan, from the tricks of the enemy, from the deceitfulness of the evil one, and that is a work that is done in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us power over all the forces of darkness. And the third thing I'm saved against, or from, is myself. And the salvation of myself is a personal work by God the Father in my own life, as I build my relationship with him. So we have three salvations, from our sin, from the devil, and from ourselves. And each part of the Godhead is actively involved in bringing about, they're all involved together, but one takes a lead in a different phase of our lives. At what age you come to Christ, he will then divide the rest of your life into three parts. First, treating you as a child, exposing you to the salvation of Christ, exposing you to the Word of God. Then after some period of time, he will expose you to the Holy Spirit and the idea is that you invite the Holy Spirit not just to be with you and speak to you and guide you and lead you, but you will invite the Holy Spirit to come and live on the inside of you. You don't have to. Are you at a, are you at a, a disadvantage? Possibly to some extent, but God can still do the work whether the Holy Spirit is outside or within you. He really wants to get on the inside of you. And so fill your very being. And then the third section of your life is where you're brought into a living, dynamic relationship with the Father. The first 25 years of my life, I had spent as a child. Not only natural going through childhood and adolescence, but growing up as a child understanding the things of God, reading the stories in the Bible, learning as a child about the things of God, learning about what the scriptures were teaching. All through my adolescent years, God was teaching me, showing me things, and that's what he does with all of us. Now, when I say a child, if you come to the Lord at 50, you're a child. Sorry about that. I'm not seeking to insult you, but you don't know anything. 
And so if you, if, if you come to the Lord at 50 and he's going to leave you here till you're 80, he's got 30 years only to work through this process in your life. And it isn't all jumbled. It isn't confused. God is not a jumbled up, confused God. God is a God of order. God is a God who will disciple you and bring you through to completion. I was fortunate and I came to Christ when I was five. So he's had, so far, he's had 62 years to work on me. I think he's got another 25. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay. We can expect that these days. 50 years ago, I wouldn't have been saying that, but today, you can live a long time with the Lord. He keeps you healthy, he keeps you strong, and there's a lot of good stuff around to keep us that way. When I arrived at the age of about 20, and I received the filling of the Holy Spirit, God led me to understand the strategy of which Satan would use to defeat us. We have to have our minds opened to the workings of the enemy. It says in that passage there, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Of all the things he could have said, what a young man did, he said that. Have you learned to overcome the evil one? You go, I didn't even know there was an evil one. I didn't even know I could become demonized. I didn't even know that the whole power that was at work in this world was controlled by the evil one. See, we need to know, so we need to wake up to that. He wants to show us that we are called to an army, called to be a people that stand against the forces of darkness. I discovered that there were three phases of what he wanted to do when I was a young man. He wanted to strengthen me in my battle against Satan my struggle against the forces of darkness to overcome the evil one, which is a daily practice. Paul said, we wrestle not against ourselves, not against God, but principalities and powers. Wrestling is arm on arm. It's, it's not running and hitting someone and running back. When you wrestle, you hold them all the time. You keep in contact with them. We have a wrestle on our hands. Even this morning, the enemy would wrestle this word away from you so you don't even hear it. He will distract you. He will do everything possible so that you cannot move forward in the things of God, understanding what he wants you to do. The second thing I learned when I was a young man is that to form the character of Christ in me or for the character of Christ to be formed in me, it would not happen in a classroom. It would not happen even in a church listening to sermons. Where you develop the character of Christ is through interpersonal relationships. You go, oh, that's not such a shock after all. The, the interpersonal relationships in your home and in the church form characters of Christ within you. You cannot read it and get it. You cannot listen to sermons and have the character of Christ formed in you. It is through interpersonal relationships. And the more difficult the relationship, the more we grow. Amen? Amen. Amen. You expect church to be pleasant and nice? and lovely, and everyone nice to you? No. You ain't going to get it. 
because it's in interpersonal relationships that our character is formed. In the difficult stuff, getting on with people that don't quite see it like you do, or understand like you understand, or think like you think, and you rub up against one another, and you've got to work this stuff out. That's how the character of Christ is formed in us. Praise God. See, you don't mind going to church in and out, listening to a sermon and out, but you don't want to put the hours in with the Christians between the Sunday and the Sunday. Do you know why? Because that's the hard bit. That's where Christ is formed in us. That's where the development takes part in our lives. And the third thing that God will do when you're in this young man, young woman stage is to take you through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you been there? Some of you have. You die. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you die. It looks like this. Everything is against you. Your family, your friends, everything. The church, everything you do is going terribly wrong in your life. Now, don't scream and shout at the devil. It has nothing to do with the devil. It is the reality of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Because you know what God wants to do? He wants to kill you off. He's trying to kill off the self-life in you. Because only when the self-life in you is put to death can the Christ life, the glory of God, shine through you. You go, I don't I need to know that, Phil. I just want answers to all my problems. I just want you to pray, teach me how to pray. Whatever it is, I need to pray so I can get this trouble off me. It doesn't go. Now, you do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you know? Amen. You can be foolish and sit in the middle of it if you want. Me, I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to keep walking until I'm out the other side. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Keep going forward in God all the time. Don't sit there crying, beating yourself over the head while life is terrible around you. Keep moving forward in the things of God. When I was 55 years of age, the Spirit of God said to me, Philip, you are no longer a young man. You are going to step into being a father. So I transitioned. Usually a transition from children to young men or from young men to fathers takes about 10 years. At 55, God said to me, the time of being a young man is over. That means you don't have to do so much work, Phil. Ease up. You haven't got physically the capacity to do what you did before. And I don't want you to anyway, because while you're busy, 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 you're being kept away from what I want next is a relationship with you, with me where I can teach you some stuff that you would never learn while you're so busy. Busy. I want to share some things about being in that stage of fatherhood. The third stage of our Christian development, the third stage of our, div- uh, of our discipleship. He says, I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. There is something about this phase that is about knowing God. Knowing God. Three things. This might sound 
arrogant. Bear with me, I'm not being arrogant. But when you've lived and walked with God for the best part of 60-something years, you've either learned something or you're stupid. Understand? You can't walk that long with the Lord if you're committed and obedient and not learned some stuff. So I want to share with you those things of where I believe I am now. Now, you can't get here in five minutes. You've got to put the years in. You've, your hair's got to go white, okay? You've got to put the years in to get to this. So bear with me on it. First thing is that now I walk with God. I walk with God. I know that the path that I have taken in my life has been the path that God has directed me to walk in without a shadow of a doubt. His path for my life is the path that I've walked in. I know that in my life God has made every provision for everything that I have ever needed to fulfill his discipleship program in my life and walk the path he's called me to walk without a shadow of a doubt. And if I've still got 25 years to go, I tell you something, my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in heaven. And how do I know that? Because he's done it for the last 60 odd years. If he's done it this far, he'll do it right to the very end without a shadow of a doubt. There is no difference in my life between what God desires for me and what I desire for myself. That's it? I'm not a problem to God. I'm not God's problem. I'm for God 100%. Whatever God wants to do, I want to do it. I don't care what it is. When we had a nice, thriving, big, charismatic church and God said to me, I want you to leave all of this and go into the community and minister to people whose lives are so smashed up, there was not an argument in my head for one minute because I knew God had spoken and I knew how to, I have to fulfil the call of God. People are saying, Philip, we don't want you to go to Hastings. Don't worry about that. I've gone. <laughs> and I'm walking in the will of God. And if I thought for one minute I was not walking in the will of God, I would not have gone. I would not have gone. We must have confidence. You can't walk with the Saviour for so long and not know what the Saviour is saying. You've got to be stupid not to know that. I'm sorry, I'm not calling you stupid. But you understand, if you did something, a job for 60 years, you would know about what you're doing. Any young whippersnapper could come up to you and say, oh, you're wasting your time doing it that way. You say, come on then. And you'd know through life's experiences that you were right. You've tried all the things the whippersnapper said. You've done it all. It didn't work. You have to do it this way. See, years of walking with God brings confidence. But you have to keep walking with him. The secret is to be obedient. Ah, I knew there was a catch. Of course there's a catch. You have to be obedient to what God calls you to do. If you're disobedient, then the whole thing falls down. The whole process does not work. I've moved like Enoch in a divine direction. 
That means that I've moved hostile to sin. Are you moving hostile to sin? Or are you moving playing with sin? I've moved in agreement with God. There's never been a contradiction between his will and my will. I haven't always understood what God is doing, but I've never contradicted him for what he wanted. I and God, we've developed mutual trust. I had to develop a trust in God. And God has developed a trust in me. We don't think about it in these terms. We think about it in childish terms, where the child is constantly looking for the parent, for the parent to tell the child what to do. But listen, there has to become a time of maturity when God says, what do you want to do? Do you want to go this way or that way? Remember when he spoke to Moses? He says, Moses, I'm sick and tired of these people grumbling and complaining all day long. I'm not coming to lead you anymore. I'll send an angel. And Moses said, God, stop right there. If you send an angel, we're not moving. So you come or we're not going. What's that? That's mutual respect. God said, hang on a minute. I've heard some bad stuff going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go down and have a little chat. Let's see what's going on down there. So he goes down there and he thinks, God, this is terrible. I've got to destroy this place. But before I do, I will go and have a word with my friend Abraham. And he has a chat with Abraham. See, he mutually respected him. God mutually wants to respect you and you him. It takes time for you to learn to trust God with everything, but he actually wants to trust things to you. He wants to put responsibilities in your hands and say, now go for it, I trust you with this. I believe in you. I know it's possible for you to do those things. And I keep in step with God. I don't rush ahead, and I don't fall behind. Most of the times, I'm thinking, God, you want to get a move on you're a bit slow. Why don't you send a revival? Why don't you answer this prayer? Why don't you expand this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you make provision for this? God, why don't you get a move on God and do all the stuff that we read about in the Word of God? Have you not said that to God? Get a move on God. And he says, you walk with me. If I run, I run. If I walk slow, I walk slow. I've known a time when the blessing of God starts to pour I said, God, stop, 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 stop. I can't keep up with this. When we ministered to the poor, money was pouring in, people were pouring in, ministries were expanding. Every year I used to pray and say, God, stop doing this. Let us consolidate what we're doing because even what we're doing is not good enough. It's not smart enough. He says, shut up, Philip, and run with me. When I'm running, run with me. And when I'm walking slowly, walk slowly with me. Learn never to run ahead of God, never to go behind God. Remember Peter? He's in the garden. He's drawn his sword and he's carved off that guy's ear. He's running ahead of Jesus. And then when Jesus wants him standing with him in the courtroom, where is he? He's hiding. He's lagging behind. I've learned to run with God and I've learned to walk slowly with God. The second thing I've learnt is that when I live with God, time stands still. You go, what are you talking about? Don't get all mystic on us now, Phil. We're very practical people here. 
If you press on into the things of God, you must embrace some mystery because you're dealing with the supernatural God of the whole universe. It can't all be pragmatic. Some of it has to be a bit of a mystery if you're going to live with God and walk with God and be part with God. What am I talking about here? I've learned to pray continually and keep in fellowship with God. It's taken me about 25 years to do this. I started a long time ago when I read books about Brother Lawrence. I read about a man called Leboch who could spend their whole lives communing and fellowshipping and walking with God. So he's never more than a few minutes out of your thoughts. Even when you're busy doing things, you stop and keep God in your focus all the time. See, a lot of Christians get up, praise the Lord in the morning, go off, do 10 hours work and come back and speak to Jesus again. That's despicable. That's what children do. We're not like that, are we? We fellowship with God throughout the day. Constantly, constantly going to him, going to him. I used to stop to pray. I don't do that anymore. I didn't say I didn't pray anymore. I said I don't stop to pray. You go, well, we've got to pray, Phil. We've got to stop and pray. Okay. But the idea is that we pray all the time. We pray without ceasing. Our life is a life of prayer. Our life is a life of fellowship. Our life is a life of relationship. Our life is a life that is lived with God. If I stop and close my eyes and talk to God, time stands still. What are you talking about? You can't stop time. You can in the presence of God because God lives outside of time. Remember Moses when he went up the mountain? He went into the presence of God. What two things didn't he do? for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat, did he? And he didn't drink either. Time stood still. I'll tell you something else. His hair never grew, neither did his nails. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure, because time stood still. See, if you close your eyes and you live in the presence of God, time stands still. Because God is eternal and lives outside of time. Philip, you're going a bit weird on us. Don't do this. Come back to us, Phil. Imagine the disciples. There's a storm in the boat. They're chucking the water out as fast as they can. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Do you know what you should do when that is happening in your life? Stand still. Close your eyes and embrace the God of eternity where life stops moving forward. There is no storm there. There is no death there. There's nothing there but God. And talk to God in the eternity of space. And then step back into the reality of time and it's all completely different.
And so I thought, I don't do that. I just pray when there's a problem. And I get up off my knees and I worry about the problem again until it's time for me to pray again about the problem. Then I pray about the problem and get up and worry again and pray again. I'm talking about fatherhood. You understand? Fathers don't worry. You say, no, we don't worry. Fathers don't worry. Fathers don't worry when you can step into a place and eternal God is there with you. Why would you worry about anything? The God of the whole universe who can turn time back or he can move time forward. He can shift it to the side, to the right or to the left. That's the relationship that we need with God. You don't get there in five minutes. You get there on a life's journey. The third thing I want to just share here, and then I'm stopping. I enjoy my family. I enjoy my friends. I enjoy the church of Jesus Christ. I enjoy you. I enjoy you. I enjoy places to go to. I enjoy things that I do. I enjoy any pastimes that I do. But you know, the world has no longer got an anchor fixed to my soul. I'm free. I'm free. There's nothing in this world that holds me. Not one thing in this world holds me. I enjoy what I have and I enjoy what I don't have. I enjoy where I go and I enjoy where I don't go. I enjoy what I do and I enjoy what I don't do. I enjoy who I know and I enjoy who I don't know. I'm free. I'm free. And if fatherhood means anything, it means you're free. Free of the world and its hold on you. Free of yourself, that you're not perfect and always performing well. Always want people to think good of you. You're free. Do you want to be free? Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Free from sin, free from the devil and free from yourself. I feel pretty free now and I've got 25 years to go. Praise the Lord. I'll be flying soon. (laughs) I'll tell you. See, I've only just started. I've only just gone through the transition of this stuff. I've only only 10 years come out of being a young man full of capacity to do things and to strike forward and to do the work and God said, ease up, Phil. Come and be a father. Come and enjoy my presence. One day I'll walk off this planet. Hope it's a long time, Daft. Don't worry about that. We've got a bit more wrestling to do on the way, girl. But I will step off this planet and I will meet God. And there won't be a big discrepancy between him and me. You say, how dare you say that thing? Because he's my discipler. 
there's a vast difference between man and God. Understand what I'm saying. But in the man that's on the inside of me, the heart that beats within me, the mind that's there, everything, he will groom me so that when I meet him, I will be like him. Amen. I will be like Jesus in physical form. But God is doing a work in our lives, a work of discipleship, that when we step from the scene of time, God is not a mystery to us because we've lived in the mystery for a third of our lives. All I can say is I know my God. I'm getting to know him even better. And my life has been a continuous journey into his very presence. God bless you all.